0: One of my uh, most vivid memories that I have uh, is the time that I went splunking. How many of you, anybody know what splunking is? Gosh. See, this happened exactly, the last time I used this story, everybody knows. I don't get it. It's like such a weird word. I figured you guys wouldn't know. So, that's my bad. Um, but yeah, so I went splunking. For, those, for the few of you who don't know, splunking is like... It's sort of like off-road caving you know instead of going in and you get the cool lights and like oh look at the pretty stuff you know you actually go in you get little lights on your heads and you have to crawl through stuff and so i went with my youth group i'm like 13 something like that um and so we go in there's a whole group of us we got a tour guide gives us these cool little lights on our head and we crawl down in this cave and we're doing these you know cool little maneuvers and we're crawling over hills and rolling through mud and all kinds of crazy stuff and it's just a blast and so hour in. We're covered in mud. We take like a short break. I'm getting pumped. I'm ready for anything. I'm like, you know what? This is like a challenge. There's nothing that I can't do in this cave right now. So ready. And so tour guide takes us on. He's like, all right, we're going to start the second half of this kind of tour. You know, we're going to go over to this little portion and he shows us over to this little like tunnel thing. And I'm looking down at this and I'm like, "Uh, let's see, cosine, theta squared, uh, carry the two. Wow, that's real small. <laughs> and he's like, so in order to get through this, you're going to have to put your arms in front of you. Because if you put your arms behind you, I mean, you know, you're going to be wiggling through like a worm. You're going to look like a fool. That's not going to work out so well. Because you, you can't get your arms back up. It's too narrow. So you've got to go in arms first, and you've got to army crawl through this thing. I'm like, um, I'd like to see you do this first. So, you know, sure enough, a couple people plop in. And, and as people are, you know, getting down there... Uh, He's like, all right, now, if you don't want to, you can actually go around. There's another way. You don't have to crawl through the tunnel. Hold up. I'm going through. Okay, back off. I'm going through the tunnel, okay? So I get down there, arms in front, you know, like I should. And I climb down. I'm crawling in. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm like a CIA agent right now, you know, like sneaking through in this cave. Nobody knows where I am, except I'm with a whole group of people. But it's cool. I'm thinking this is awesome at first. And then like a minute in, I'm like, oh my, this is, this is pretty tight. You know, and I start catching up with the person in front of me, and their feet are in my face, and I'm like hitting my head on the top of this cave. And you know, I'm trying to move. I'm like, I ah, keep scratching my elbows. And then the person behind me is, you know, catching up to me. And we're all crammed in this little tunnel. And I'm starting to, like, set in. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't move. It, like, standing, like, throughout the day, you know, walking and standing gets kind of annoying sometimes. I'm like, man, I would do anything just to lay down. But right now, I'm like, I would do anything just to stand up. Like, literally every time I move, I hit my head on the stinking roof of this cave thing. And, and then I start thinking, Like, what happens if I get stuck in this thing? You know, like, if I can't get out or I lose motivation, you know, I get tired of crawling. Like, I mean, what do they, I mean, what do you, I'm literally in a cave underground. There's nobody around. Where are you going to go? You know, you're going to call, all right, dispatch. I mean, do they have like a spare jackhammer around? They're like, all right, we got another. Somebody got the jackhammer, bust them out. Like, I'm start thinking through this. I'm like, what if I get stuck in here? I mean, how am I going to get out of this thing? And I'm like, claustrophobia has never been so real. I mean, I got feet in my face. I'm in this cave. I'm getting all scratched up. I've been in here for like five minutes. I'm like, this thing's got to end. This has got to be done. I got to get out of here. And the thing is, though, is that like, it's funny because in the moment, like I'm freaking out and it's crazy, but that's why I went there. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, you go, like when you go splunking, you didn't go there. So you'd just be like, all right, let's chill You guys want to do a picnic? Does that sound nice? Like you go in there knowing, full knowing, you're going to get muddy, full knowing, you're going to get scratched up and dirty. And yet it amazes me that so often we pursue God acting as if we don't know that that's how it will be. I want to read for you guys a passage from Psalm chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, that I think illustrates this concept. Psalm chapter 22, you guys don't have, I mean, that's cool. I think it's on the screen. All right, Um, this is a psalm of David. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. And we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but we can see in here the kind of frustration that David is experiencing the kind of suffering that he is going through. And I think, you know, it's so easy for us to picture David as this great king. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's, that's how we usually envision him. But before David was king, David was a fugitive on the run from King Saul. And I think if we take a look into what happens between Saul and David, we can see what he's experiencing here in this passage. You see, Saul was actually a pretty cool guy. I mean, um he was from a humble family. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is kind of a nobody tribe. He wasn't well I mean nobody knew who he was. He was nothing. And so when he gets asked to be king, I mean he's shocked. He's blown away. He hasn't didn't see this coming from a thousand miles. And so, you know, Saul becomes king, and it turns out he's actually pretty good. I mean, he, he actually ends up leading the Israelites to many victories. He does a great job. He's a great military leader. People like him. And so Saul's like, he's killing it. Um and after a while, Saul really, I mean, he's doing a great job. He's having all these victories. And he's like, man, this is great. He starts loving it. And see, after a while, God begins to realize the transition in Saul's heart. And so he sends him this sort of test. And he says, all right, after this next victory, what I want you to do is I want you to wait for Samuel. Samuel's the prophet of the day, kind of the spiritual dude. Um, and so he says, I want, I want you to wait till Samuel shows up in order to offer the sacrifice for the victory. Because they'd, after they'd win a victory, they would offer a sacrifice and be like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this victory. Um, you know, thank you, God. We give this victory back to you, blah, blah, So he's like, I need you to wait. So Saul goes ahead. He wins a victory. Good stuff. He wins. And he waits, you know, and he's like, all right, you know, clock's ticking. Waits a while. Samuel doesn't show up. Waits a little longer. He keeps waiting. Waits till he thinks he shouldn't wait any longer. Waits longer. And he's like, all right. Here's the thing, Samuel, you know, I know you're a good guy, I like you, but I'm king. And right now, I've got stuff to do, things to be, places, you know, things, stuff to do. And, you know, you're not here, so we're just going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to make an executive decision. Let's make it happen. He offers the sacrifice, and no sooner does he finish offering the sacrifice than Samuel shows up. And there's this sort of moment of exchange where both of them realize what's going on. And that Saul is no longer submitting to the authority of God, but rather submitting to himself. And this sort of habit of pride in Saul's heart continues. And Saul rebu- or, uh, Samuel rebukes Saul, telling him that he's making a mistake. But the thing is, Saul continues to walk in. it. He likes his position. He likes where he's going. And he continues to walk in this over and over, and he disobeys and disobeys, until eventually... God sends Samuel to tell Saul that he's been rejected as king. Now, keep in mind, we haven't heard anything about David yet. David's not even on the scene. We haven't heard anything about him. And Saul is already being told that he is rejected as the king of Israel. And yet, he stays on the throne. Knowing that God doesn't want him there, he stays anyway. And so you can imagine that when David comes on the scene, this young man of great faith, he kills a giant. People love him. He's incredible. He has such a good heart. And suddenly these songs start being sung about them. You know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. You can imagine the kind of jealousy that Saul is experiencing. He knows he's been rejected as king. He knows he's not fit for the position anymore. And here's this guy who's threatening him. And you can imagine this pride that is in his heart is just fostering jealousy. He's afraid of who David will become. And so even though David goes out of his way to serve Saul, in fact, David ends up working for Saul in his own house. He's playing music for him, just trying to make his day better. And Saul just can't stand him to the point that one day, he literally just up and throws a spear at him, trying to kill him. No reason. And David realized no matter what, even though he's done him no wrong, he's not safe anymore. And so David up and leaves the kingdom. He even leaves Jerusalem. And here's what's crazy. Saul follows him. David leaves to get away from Saul, and Saul is so driven crazy by his pride, by his jealousy, that he literally leaves his kingdom. Leaves his everything he has in order to pursue David into the wilderness. And we find David hiding in the mountains to the point that David has to leave the country of Israel. He goes to the Philistines, their enemies, and pretends to be crazy, a madman, so that they won't kill him. He is literally in his enemy territory fleeing from his own king. It's no wonder that David says, why have you forsaken me, God? It's no wonder he's frustrated.
1: And he feels abandoned.
0: And here we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you have Bibles, you can flip with me. Um, We'll pick up here in a minute. Oh, wait, we're there. What am I saying? Don't even know my own sermon. Um, So here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 4, and we see this interaction between Saul and David. It says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi.'" Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David. 3,000 men. And his men went in front of the wild goats' rocks, and he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, I checked the commentaries. Seems legit. Um, So, uh, yeah. Now, David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here's the day which the Lord has said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterwards his, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So here we find David in this cave hiding from Saul. Saul comes in completely unguarded. He's just helpless. And here David, knowing he's already been anointed to be king, and Saul has already been rejected as king. The people don't like him anymore. He's pursuing David. David has done no wrong, but he's being sought to be killed. And here we find them interact in this cave, and David spares his life. You see, I think David realized in this
1: moment that for him to kill Saul would just make him Saul.
0: That this is the very pattern that Saul went down in efforts of being king, and that for David to do the same thing would just make him who Saul is. That in order to kill Saul for the sake of gaining the kingdom, he would have to break his convictions to God. He would have to break the character that he's already been seeking to become. And he would just become Saul.
1: I'm realizing this, that as
0: I pour through the scriptures in my own life, that this process, this process of sanctification, of becoming like God that we want, that we pursue, that it's by and large often uncomfortable. And that so often we want it to be easy. We want it to be on our terms, but it's not always that way because if God's going to make Him like, make us like himself, I mean, he has to strip us of the things that aren't of him. He has to tear away those things that don't belong to his character and form us intimately into someone that we're not used to being. St. Augustine, an early church father, says it this way. He says, and when it says all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It leaves no part of our life free from this obligation, no part free, as it were, to back out and enjoy some other thing. Any other object of love that enters the mind should be swept towards the same destination as that to which the whole flood of our love is directed. See, there's another famous Bible character, actually, who quotes these words of David here in Psalm a man who who sat in a garden sweating like tears of blood in frustration saying, my father, take this cup from me. And he was beaten and flogged and went to a cross in love for the world who betrayed him from his friends who left him. And as he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we've so often misunderstood this thinking that Jesus is completely abandoned, but he's not because this is actually a prayer of faith that as he quotes these words of David, this is a psalm of hope. And that even though it starts in frustration to despair, David ends it saying, all of the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules. Over the nations. This is not a prayer of despair, but a prayer of faith. That even in the most frustrating circumstances, the things that tear us back, that are painful to endure, that we're asked to have this kind of blind faith that just trusts the work of God in
1: us. You see,
0: Jesus has called us to carry our cross. And the growth in your life is often determined by your willingness to submit to God's authority. And I think that some of us today, we want to have the kingdom. We want to be king, but we want to kill Saul on the way. We want to do it our way on our terms in the way that's most comfortable to us. And we've grown up with this sort of teaching, which and this is good, but we need to find our passions in the world and the things that we care about and love. And, you know, what are you talented at? What are your skills? What are you passionate about? Where does that mesh with what the world needs? And how can you be a great world changer and fix these things? And those are good things. But listen, I'm just worried.
1: That so many of us will find our passion and not our cross. That so many of us will find the things in this life that we're passionate about and never die to ourselves. Never
0: find that point where Christ has called us to give it up for his sake. And so here's my question today.
1: Are you killing Saul? Is there something
0: in your life? What is it that stands between you and submission to God? What is it that stands between you that tests you, that challenges you, that you want to have it, but if you do, you would give up your faithfulness to God? See, I think some of you today are in the cave right now. You're in the painful part, the frustration, the
1: difficulty. And my challenge to you is this find yourself at the cross. Hear this Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And I'm not saying in any way.
0: This is easy. But this is the model we have. And some of you today, you're not there at all. Maybe for you, you're in the meadow. It's great. It's not hard at all. And you're wondering, why am I not growing in my faith right now? Why am I stagnant? Maybe you're wondering, where is God right now in my life? Because right now it's just chill. It's cool. Here's my challenge to you. Step into somewhere uncomfortable
1: to a place that you're not used to going.
0: And I'm not in any way trying to say that following God is always frustrating, okay? Don't hear me say that because it's the best thing ever. But if you're wondering why there's not growth in your life, maybe you need to step into a place you've never been before. Serve someone you don't wanna serve. Take something in your week that you really like and you don't want to give up and give it up to spend time with God. I bet you'll find him there. Um, you may or may not know, I'm sort of an obsessive guitar nerd. Um, I'm seriously so obsessed and it's kind of weird. Um, but I do weird things like watch endless YouTube videos for days about just random odd stuff about guitars and et cetera. Um, and the thing that's that's become interesting to me is that um, we tend to, like when we think of a really nice guitar, usually what we picture is like the really fancy one with like bells and whistles and it's got tons of, like it just looks amazing. I mean, you look at it, it's got like a halo around it. you know, And it's the one that when you walk into a music store, it's on the shelf and it's like way up there. So you can't even touch it if you wanted to. I mean that's like usually what we think of, and it's got a you know ridiculous price tag you would never look at. And um, as I've looked into this um, and what kinds of the kinds of guitars that like just legendary guitar players are using, that um, it's actually it often looks a bit more something like this. I put a picture on the screen, so I hope you guys can see. I know it's a cheesy picture, I'm sorry. Um, But that so many amazing guitars are actually playing stuff that it's like the lacquer is just scratched off and the neck is just busted in and it looks like it's just worn to death. And the the thing I'm learning as I look into it is that there's something about a guitar that has just been beaten in that's been used for years and years, and the neck is just busted up. And there's something about a guitar that has the wear and tear of years of play that just can't be mimicked. That there's something about the wood, and the, it just rings. It plays more beautifully than any new guitar you could buy. There's something about it that's just, I mean, they swear by it. And I want to tell you today, guys, that God
1: wants to wear away the lacquer. He wants to
0: play you intimately for years and wear you out. He wants to break you in the neck and strip you of the things that aren't like Him. And He wants to play you intimately as His instrument, His prized possession. And it might be frustrating at times, difficult. It might go against what you wanted,
1: against what you're feeling. You might feel uncomfortable. But in the end, it's beautiful. Pray with me. Father, we are in your hands. And I thank you, God, that we're not in our own hands. And God, I pray today that you would teach us to surrender. Teach us to be your servants, to follow you, and to love you, God, even when it's not the way we saw it. God to surrender to who you're making us. In him I pray, amen.